Uh, so this Sunday, we have the privilege of hearing from my friend, Father Jonathan, who is the pastor of Aviva Church in the Wheaton area, and also the facilitator of a ministry among the Latino members of our diocese called Somos Familia. Uh, you were supposed to come originally, was it November? Yeah. Yeah, so November was uh, the original plan. Uh, that didn't pan out. Some other uh, things happened in our nation in November and stuff. Um, yeah, so we had to reschedule and this worked out. And so we look forward to hearing you open the word for us this morning. Thank yeah. you. You may be seated. So uh, when I was a college student, I spent three months in the Middle East, in the West Bank, actually living with a Palestinian uh, refugee family. And while I was there, I heard this word over and over. I would get into a taxi, and I would hear other people in the taxi talking, and they would say, Ajnabi. Can you say that word with me? Ajnabi. I would go to a store, heads would turn, they would look at me, and I would hear this word again, Ajnabi. Well, so it was one of the first words in Arabic that I learned. You can probably guess what it means. A foreigner, a other, someone who's not from here, someone who doesn't belong. It wasn't necessarily used in a negative way, but it was definitely a descriptor of who I was in that place, in that space. Uh, growing up, I was a missionary kid in Latin America. I was born in Peru. Uh, then I lived in Chile and, and Panama in Central America. And my name, or more even than a nickname, my name, my identifier there growing up was Gringo. So Gringo, pasa la bola, pass, pass the ball, we were playing soccer, or Gringo, go sit in that chair. Literally, that was just all the time for six years probably of my elementary years, that was my identifier, that was my name, Gringo. Uh, now I live in the southwest side of Chicago in a neighborhood called Little Village, which is a primarily Mexican neighborhood, and um, we're planting a, a new congregation there as well, part of our diocese. And I'd moved into this new uh, apartment. It was one of the first days I was there. I was taking out the trash to the alley behind the house. And there was this probably about three-year-old who was on his little tricycle. And he kind of is riding up. And all of a sudden, he sees me. And he has a startled expression on his face. And he kind of points at me. And he says, Gabacho. And gabacho is more of a Mexican word, you can guess what it means, which sort of literally means foreigner or northerner. And it was probably, ironically, the first time maybe he'd seen a white person in his neighborhood on the southwest side of Chicago. And he kind of rides his tricycle back to his parents with this surprise, look, there's a gabacho, he lives here, he's our neighbor. Ajnabi, gringo, gabacho. Uh, words that, not necessarily in a negative way, but create an othering, words to say, someone who doesn't belong, someone who's not from here, other. We see in this passage here where we'll be looking at Ephesians 2, uh, 11 through 22, some of these same words, alien, stranger, foreigner, not of us, other, does not belong here. These words, and we, I think, are having an increase, increased vocabulary as a country in these kinds of words, become also kinds of walls that separate us from them, us from others, those who belong and those who don't. Ajnabi, gringo, gabacho, illegal alien, fetus, crazy conservative, 
social justice warrior. Words which in turn become walls of exclusion and othering. What we see today in this passage, though, is a different way, a different uh, invitation for us as followers of Jesus, a different kind of good news than maybe we have been accustomed to hearing. What we'll see today is there's this gospel move in Christ from exclusion through the work of Christ as peacemaker to embrace, to multi-ethnic familia. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to, to look at this passage. It's a little bit longer than what's in your bulletin. Again, it's Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Uh, just to give you some quick context on this passage, um, where it is in the book of Ephesians, usually many of Paul's letters, the first half of the book, and it's the case for this passage too, the first half is about identity, who we are in Christ. And usually around about halfway of the book, he'll transition to then who should we become or how are we to live based on who we are in Christ. And so this is part of the first half of Ephesians, that part of identity, who are we in Christ. Um, and this passage particularly, to, uh, well, it follows 2, 1 through 10, which talks about our reconciliation with God. So this is Paul talking right before what we get to today, saying, who are we in Christ? What is that vertical reconciliation that God in Christ has bought for us? It says we're, um, we're a new creation. We were enemies of God, and through Christ, the peacemaker, are reconciled with God. That's right before this, and there's that part of the gospel that, that is the good news that we can be restored in our relationship with God. But then we get here to what we're looking at today, to 11 through 22, which is now the vertical implication, or sorry, the horizontal implications of the gospel, the horizontal type of restoration that Christ brings. Not only can we be reconciled with God, but there is a kind of reconciliation that is at the heart of the gospel, which involves reconciliation with one another, with people groups, and in this specific context, ethnic groups. So again, we see here a move from exclusion is the first uh, part of this section of 11 through 22, this past reality of ethnic hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and then the reconciling work of Christ is in the middle, and in the final part of this passage is embrace, this new identity as a multi-ethnic family of God. So let's look first at 11 through 22 quickly, this idea of exclusion, this past reality of ethnic hostility, which is verses 11 and 12. Uh, uh, several years back, we were um, in the midst of planting a new uh, Latino immigrant congregation in the suburbs of Chicago, in a different place than where I live now. And we were a small group at the time. We didn't have our own building. We really didn't have enough to rent a, a space. Um, and so we were looking for host churches that already owned their buildings that might allow us to meet at a different time in their, in their building. And so there's one church that we approached. I knew the pastor through different pastor meetings that uh, happened in that, in that community. And ultimately, they, they kind of talked about it. They took it to their church board, and they said, well, you can meet in our space, but you can't use our sanctuary, but there's a, a basement uh, classroom that you could use. We were, we were happy to use that space, and so we began meeting. I think it was a Sunday, kind of 3 p.m., a little bit of an odd service time, but mostly non-Christians that we were reaching out to. New families were part of the congregation. So one, one Sunday, we're meeting about halfway through our service, Again, we're in the basement kind of classroom. We start hearing this rumbling above us. Above us was where the sanctuary was. 
Uh, we started hearing like stomping and yelling, and we're thinking, I don't know, maybe this is more of a Pentecostal church than what we were used to, or is there are they casting out demons up there? What's happening? Well, we, we finished our service, um, I don't know, 45 minutes later or something, and cleaned up and kind of come upstairs and kind of peek in the sanctuary as we're leaving and realize it was Super Bowl Sunday and they were having a Super Bowl party in the sanctuary. Now, at the time, that was like a, a slap in the face for us. We weren't allowed to meet in the sanctuary, but they could have a Super Bowl Sunday service. And it wasn't an intentional, you know, othering or exclusion, but for us as a small group who were already in society experiencing this kind of marginalization, we felt we were relegated to the basement. We weren't worthy to meet in the sanctuary, but there would be, they could have a Super Bowl party. And there was this, this, this pain about that. It was part of the time in the U.S. when many Latino churches were getting kicked out of uh, church buildings where they were meeting. There was this wave of kind of anti-immigrant sentiment throughout the country. And we felt this, this kind of ethnic hostility. And this is what we, what we see here in, this, in these verses 11 through 22 in this passage. Is, um, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so what's, what's the dynamic here? Paul's talking to the Gentiles who were uh, before Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel, excluded from the temple, there was this dynamic of ethnic exclusion and even more hostility between Jews and Gentiles. They hated one another. Jews were the in-group, Gentiles were the out-group. This is one of the first, uh, well, it is the, fr- uh, the second major conflict we see in the book of Acts. And the, f- the first one is also re- cultural, religious, related to the um, distribution of food to the widows that were um, the Greek-speaking and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. We see ethnic hostility and ethnic conflict being at the forefront of the early church and one of the main issues throughout the New Testament. And this is what Paul is addressing here. And these are the words that were used for the Gentiles, aliens, strangers, uncircumcised. is almost a way for Jews to say dirty, other, outsiders. What's this wall that's talking about here, this wall of separation? Um, many commentators think that in, in the temple there were these divisions uh, and different areas depending on if you were a Jew or a Gentile, you could enter or not. And most likely the more inner courts were reserved for Jews and the outer courts outside of where there was a literal wall were the courts for the Gentiles. And now if you think, when, when did Jesus get angry or even the most angry in his ministry. You remember this? Remember the cleansing of the temple, this radical Jesus that surprises us and he's turning over tables? What was that all about? Especially if you look at the Gospel of Mark. He says, this, the, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for, Mark adds this that the other Gospels don't, for all nations. What was probably happening in that outer court is that was probably where the sellers had set up. They had turned the outer Gentile courts into this market that made it impossible to pray. And so what is Paul talking about here? That Jesus breaks down the wall of hostility. He's talking about this wall that separated Jews and Gentiles within the literal temple. 
that separated and created an insider and outsider dynamic. You see, there's a geography to injustice. There's a geography, there's a physicality to, uh, to injustice and oppression. And we see this in this passage. And this is the reality, it says, the first part. But the, the, the passage continues, and we see verses 13 through 18. It says, but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. And it goes on to say, by so making peace that we might reconcile us both to God in one body, therefore killing the hostility. So we see exclusion and then the reconciling work of Christ. He himself is our peace who has made us both one. He's broken down this wall of hostility. We see Jesus in a different role than often we might think of him. We know Jesus, the restorer of our relationship with Christ, but here, of our relationship with God the Father, but here we see Jesus, the restorer of our relationship with one another. Jesus, the peacemaker. Jesus, the breaker down of walls between ethnic groups, between uh, those who are inside and those who are outside. At the heart of this passage, we see the gospel. We see Jesus, the good news, especially good news for those on the outside. Jesus, the peacemaker. Not just reconciling us with God when we were his enemies, which is chapter 2, the 1 through 10, the previous passage right before this, but also reconciling us with one another when we were at war with our earthly ethnic enemies. Restoring our relationship with God and with one another. And we see that both are at the heart of the gospel. And both are at the heart of this book of Ephesians. In this book, Paul is wondering at the mystery of the gospel, this beautiful message that was entrusted to him. And throughout this book, we see him wondering and marveling, and what is this great mystery? And we see it a little bit later in chapter 3, verse 6. What is part of the mystery and the wonder of the gospel is this, that there is reconciliation also between Jew and Gentile. This is at the heart of the gospel, ethnic reconciliation, multiracial, and maybe in our context, or multicultural, multi-ethnic unity is possible through Jesus. We see the work of the cross and the work of his blood as the work of also reconciliation. We see that there's also a geography to reconciliation. Jesus was killed in a specific place outside the gates. We see this in the book of Hebrews um, highlighting this fact that Jesus didn't just die a death, but he died a death at the lowest place, on the outside. He chose to be with the outsiders to the last moment of his life. There's a geography to the work of reconciliation that there's a choosing to be on the outside so those on the outside can come in. The hill of Calvary is outside the gates, and at the hill of Calvary all are welcomed, especially the outsider, the forgotten, the alien, the excluded. All are sinners in need of a savior. Uh, when I um, graduated from my uh, master's program at, at Wheaton College, we had our commencement service, and the speaker was uh, a small, kind of quiet, uh, soft-spoken woman um, from Japan, a little bit older. Uh, she spoke with an accent, and in the midst of a ceremony and a celebration of what was uh, commencement, it was, it was quite easy to 
um, to miss her words and to sort of miss what she said. She didn't speak very long and it kind of went by quickly. But for those who kind of listened a little bit more attentively, what she shared was incredibly powerful. And essentially the question she was asking and what she shared about was, how do you forgive a mass murderer? How do you forgive someone who has murdered countless numbers of people that you love? Her name was uh, Akiko uh, Minato. And she talked about how she learned to forgive the United States for nuclear bombing her country. You could hear that phrase, whoa. And then she talked about how that forgiveness process through Jesus led her to actually studying at Wheaton College herself and in the U.S. and the transformation in her own life. How is that kind of forgiveness or reconciliation even possible? This is the gospel. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the good news. Uh, Finally, exclusion, the work of, of Christ, the reconciler, and then we see embrace, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer outsiders, but what? Through Christ, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 19. In Spanish, it goes, Son miembros de la familia de Dios. You are members of the family of God. From exclusion to a new identity as a multi-ethnic familia. Who are we in Christ? We are made a new reality. This, we're made family. In English, it's the household of God, which we can kind of hear those words and not really capture the meaning. It's saying we're made a family. What is the work of Christ the reconciler? It's to make us church. And what is church? Church is the family where all are welcomed in. All are welcome to come to the cross and to repent and through forgiveness to be made into a new reality. Oppressed and oppressor, insider, outsider, enemy and enemy, mass murderer and victim, all are can become in a radically transforming way brothers and sisters. Uh, a couple years back, uh, a good friend of mine called me. It was MLK, uh, it was the weekend right before MLK uh, Monday. Uh, and he said, hey, let's, hey, come with me. I'm going to visit this church on the south side of Chicago. Hey, come along. So I kind of jumped in the car with him and uh, drove. I, I, it was my first time in the south side of Chicago, which is primarily uh, African-American, uh, under-resourced communities. And we, we were going to this church that had a special MLK Sunday celebration called St. Sabinus. It's a traditionally black Catholic church uh, on the south side of Chicago. So we go, and we got there late, uh, trying to find parking, and a little bit uncomfortable. It was our first time in the neighborhood, a little bit nervous, kind of lock the car, make sure the doors are locked. And um, service had already started, so we're even more nervous. And we get in, the building was packed with people, and me and my friend were the only two uh, non-black people, only two white people in the room, except for the priest, if you know his story, Father Flager's Polish priest of this church, who was way in the front on stage, but everyone else in the room was black. And so we're, we're uncomfortable, we're already late, and so there's two little pews in the back that we kind of squeeze into, hoping no one would notice us. Service kind of continued, and we got to the moment of the peace. And all of a sudden, the room erupts in joy. And there's two older larger women right in front of us turn around and literally give me the biggest hug I think I've ever gotten in my life. 
And all of a sudden, all that fear and uh, outsiderness that I felt kind of just melted away. And that was one of the most joyous uh, passing of the pieces that I've been to, uh, I think, in my life. And literally, an embrace told me, you belong. You are welcome. You are family. Um, in, in my uh, congregation in Aviva Church, uh, we use often the Kenyan liturgy translated into Spanish. And there's this phrase that we say every week. It says, Por medio de su sangre somos hermanas y hermanos. Through his blood we are brothers and sisters. And it's common in um, many immigrant churches, but also in the Latino church, to call everybody brother or sister. Hermano y hermana. This is just normal. This is just part of what we do. But there's this radical truth, I think, that we say every time we say that. You are family. Through Jesus' blood, we are brothers and sisters. Uh, Dr. Sun Ching Ra wrote a book called uh, Many Colors. He's a Korean-American professor in, in Chicago. And he says, the true challenge is making a home together. We are not merely hosting each other as a guest. We are working at building a home together. There's a difference between having a guest stay over one night and getting married, moving in together, creating a joint bank account, making the other person a beneficiary of your life insurance policy, a beneficiary of all your possessions. The scriptures testify that the church is the household or family of God. A family does not simply offer up hospitality towards others. It ceases to use the language of otherness altogether. The church is not merely a place where we tolerate strangers. It is a place of grace and acceptance that comes from being family. This is who we are. This is the good news. And this is our invitation to step into. Restoration Anglican Church. I want to invite you. I want to challenge you to embrace this identity as the familia of God. I want to embrace part of, the, of your namesake mission, of, of that mission that comes with your name of restoration, which is that horizontal rest, reconciliation. I want to give you this charge, this invitation today to step into who you are as family of God, as the church. Bishop Todd Hunter wrote uh, a letter to his clergy, a different bishop in our uh, movement, who said, I believe race and racism may be the most pressing social issue of our time. He said, this is saying a lot in the midst of political strife, pandemic, economic, emotional relational hardship. But racism may also be the most urgent opportunity for mission in the United States. And our own bishop wrote a letter earlier last year uh, following the death of George Floyd, and he said, our hope is in the shed blood of Jesus that reconciles God to humanity and humans to each other. Our hope is that our churches become places where our life together as disciples demonstrates the power of the gospel to bring together the nations of the earth. He said, we likewise commit to partnering with like-minded churches in the work of justice and reconciliation. Who are we, brothers and sisters? Who are we to become? I think this may be one of the most important questions for the church in the United States in this day and age. Who are we? Who are we to become? Are we um, going to follow Jesus, the, pe the peacemaker, into this radical new reality of the family of God. Sometimes restoration means knocking down walls. Sometimes before we can build up, we must knock down. 
but we are following in the path of Jesus, the peacemaker. And the reality we are stepping into is more glorious and mysterious and beautiful than we could imagine. It's being literal brothers and sisters by the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Jesus, our reconciler. Jesus, our peacemaker. We worship you today. We honor you. We long to be with you and to be like you. Would you give a special charism grace here to your family here of restoration and to our Anglican Diocese of the Upper Midwest to be restorers, to be peacemakers, to be reconcilers, especially in the midst of ethnic and racial division. Lord, help us to live into the reality of the family of God. Thank you for that invitation from you. We pray this in Jesus' name.